Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today we're going to be telling you part one of the story of the murder of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia murder. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. I am going to give a brief disclaimer for this episode and for part two. Um, I want to let you all know, first and foremost, that this is a very infamous case with a lot of information and has had a lot of investigations throughout the years since this happened. And with that being said, there is so much information out there that there's no way Eric and I could cover everything. So... We're going to be providing just basically a kind of brief, kind of in-depth overview of this case. But as I said, there's a lot of information that's been developed. So don't hate us if we miss some stuff. I think we'd be here forever if we actually tried to cover everything. And following that, many of you, you probably do know about this case or have an idea. And for those of you who don't, I just want to say that it is a violent case and it's pretty graphic. And so there will be a portion where we're talking about the murder and it is a graphic one so just a heads up if that bothers you um, maybe this episode isn't for you or when I start to talk about the discovering of her body maybe skip through a little bit. On the morning of January 15th 1947 Betty Bersinger was on a walk with her daughter and they were walking in a planned neighborhood in Los Angeles and this neighborhood was um, near Limert Park. It was pretty underdeveloped at the time. And as I said, she was just on a walk with her daughter and she saw what she thought was basically a mannequin, like two pieces of a mannequin in this vacant building plot that was um, in the mannequin, quote unquote, was just a few feet from the sidewalk. As she gets closer, she soon realizes that it's not in fact a mannequin, but it is the body of a young woman who had been cut in half at the waist. And so, of course, she's freaked out by this and she grabs her kid and goes to the nearest phone to call police. The Los Angeles Police Department arrive and they very quickly enlist the FBI for help because of how gruesome this was. Basically, within the hour, they were able to already get an identification on who this woman was. And this was from her fingerprints. Her fingerprints had appeared twice in the FBI collection of identities at the time, of prints at the time. And they identified her as 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Short was also referred to as Betty. And she was born on July 29th, 1924 in Hyde Park, Massachusetts. She had had four sisters, Virginia, Dorothea, Eleonora, and Muriel. 
and she was born to her parents, Cleo and Phoebe Short. In 1926, the family moved to Medford, Massachusetts, and that is where Elizabeth actually grew up. And her father in 1930, so pretty pretty early on in Elizabeth's life, kind of took off. He made it seem like he had committed suicide, but he just was looking to get, well, abandoned his family, basically. And so Phoebe basically raised all the kids by herself. Um, there was some point where Cleo actually did reach back out to the family and ask for forgiveness. And they were like, no, dude, <laughs> like you suck. And there was a time period later on that Elizabeth actually does get back in touch with Cleo. Elizabeth moved back and forth between Massachusetts and Florida. Apparently, if she had had some asthma and because of that, she would move to the warmer climate. And at the end of 1942, Elizabeth had turned 18 and she actually moved out to California to live with her father, Cleo. Um, This did not work out and she eventually moves out. And then in January of 1943, she gets a job as a civilian clerk in Camp Cook which is an army camp 10 miles north of Lompoc, um, now known as the Vandenberg Air Force Base. And she worked there until late August of 1943. That is one of the hits that they had found for her fingerprints because she was fingerprinted for this job. Another set of prints that they had on file for her was from September of 1943. And this is when Elizabeth was 19 years old and she was arrested for underage drinking in Santa Barbara. And... Um, We have her mugshot that actually came very well in handy when this investigation first took off. Following her arrest, she did move back to Medford um, where she grew up. And this is where she continued to work as a waitress as she had done in the past. Apparently, Elizabeth was a pretty well-mannered woman. She, She was considered courteous. She didn't cuss. She really didn't get into a lot of trouble other than this underage drinking thing. It was in the end of December 1944 that she met her soon-to-be fiancé, Matthew M. Gordon, and they got engaged, and he unfortunately passed away in a plane crash in 1945. A year later, moved to Los Angeles. Elizabeth had some high hopes to become an actress and get into that Hollywood world, And when she moved to L.A., she ended up really staying in hotels quite often, other people's houses, and she kind of just moved around without a dedicated living space for herself. On January 8th, 1947, a man named Robert Manley, who was friends with Elizabeth, had offered to drive her to Los Angeles, and they had spent the night in a motel, and on Thursday January 9th, so the next day, he had taken Elizabeth to a bus station and went with her to drop off her luggage and then went with her to the Biltmore Hotel where he left her. And this was about 6.30 p.m. And it's at this point that we have the last known sighting of Elizabeth Short. And it was just seven days later that her body would be discovered. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As I had mentioned previously, on January 15, 1947, Elizabeth Short's body was found. And this is the point in our part one where I'm going to talk a little bit about the discovery of her body and her murder. So as I mentioned, it is a pretty gruesome one. So if that kind of stuff bothers you, maybe fast forward a little bit. She'd been found in a vacant lot. And I did briefly say that her body was cut in half. Additionally, her blood had been completely drained out of her body and some of her organs had been removed from her body and placed underneath her, the bottom half of her body. One of the more, one of the sinister things with this case, the perpetrator or perpetrators had actually cut from the corners of her mouth up to her ears and had additionally cut pieces of her flesh out of her breast and thighs. The two parts of her body were placed about a foot apart and she was kind of posed in a precarious way as well. There was minimal bruising around the area where she was cut and this led investigators to believe that the body was severed after her death. Her body was washed and there was not a lot of blood at the scene. So they do believe that she was murdered somewhere else and then brought and dumped here. Also evidence suggesting that she was likely raped. However, there was no sperm or any other DNA to link to a suspect or a perpetrator. Her cause of death was from lacerations and a hemorrhage on her head due to some blows that had occurred to her face. What they did find is that near her body was a heel print in a cement sack with traces of blood, and they believe that that had been used to transport her body to the spot where she was located. So all in all, like I said, a very gruesome murder that to me points to even past a murder of rage or hatred it almost sounds like just a sadistic person yeah her murder is one of the most gruesome murders that really is talked about a whole lot i guess and from what we know because it's never officially been connected to any other case this is a one and done situation for whoever killed her so definitely very sadistic there's definitely some rage but also I almost feel like whoever did it would have had to know her. You think so? In some some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure. For me, I almost think it was like, like maybe there was a serial killer or something that came through the area. I don't know. But what's interesting, and as I've, I've said, like there's so much to this case, maybe I just am unaware, but I can't imagine that there are any other cases that have a very that have a similar manner of death, and especially when you look at the um, that they cut her mouth. Yeah, I don't think there's any other cases that necessarily fit completely. However, there are two other murders that police do link 
to this possibly mm-hmm. that have some similarities that we'll discuss further in part two. And at this point, police are kind of and investigators are discussing the same thing. What is going on? Who did this? It is such a gruesome murder that, you know, they're like I said, right away, LAPD calls FBI in because there's something very sinister going on and they want to catch this person before it happens again. And they have this massive investigation occur. What they begin with is that Red Manley, which is the person I said had dropped her off at the hotel, was immediately looked at because he was the last person that they know that had seen her. And he provided um, an alibi and had taken two lie detector tests. So they, you know, they kind of rule him out. They have her mugshot that I had mentioned earlier, which they released to the press to say, hey, if anybody knows anything about this woman or any circumstances surrounding her death or if you'd seen her these last couple of days, let us know. We need information. And for whatever reason, you know how media can be, especially at this time period for, well, let's just say like for a beautiful woman, everybody starts painting her as this, I don't know what the right word is, but they they kind of act like she maybe was putting herself in these situations and she was, you know, getting with a lot of guys and all that stuff, which who knows if that's true or not. One, it's not her fault. I don't care what position you're quote unquote putting yourself in. You're not doing that. You like no one deserves this, you know. But because of this, they have this kind of persona they're building. Media is just attacking the story and blowing it up. And something I came across that I want to mention just because it was so insanely sad to me. Phoebe Short, who's Elizabeth's mom, she didn't actually hear from investigators that her daughter had died. A reporter from the Los Angeles Examiner actually called her and pretended that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest and was asking for a bunch of details on Elizabeth and then basically was like, oh yeah, um, your daughter was murdered and found in this manner. And that's how her mom found out about her daughter's death. It's just awful. I mean, there's no good way to find out that your daughter has died for somebody to just call and... Not like, I don't know. I don't know the correct way to tell somebody that their daughter died, but to make kind of a joke about it is not. The media did not honor her in a way that they should have is really what it boils down to. Investigators are left here with, hey, what, where do we even go from here? You know, we have no idea. And so they start looking at the manner of death and what little evidence they do have. Apparently, the way her body was severed was the same manner as a, and I apologize, I'm not going to say this right probably, but a hemicorporectomy. And apparently this is a surgical procedure that precisely cuts through um, the second and third lumbar vertebrae. Because of this, FBI was like, maybe a doctor or a medical student or something was involved because it's very precise. And they actually look into, I guess, approximately 300 medical students at the University of Southern California, and they don't find anything. And then they are looking into people who knew Elizabeth and ex-boyfriends, and again, they cannot find anything. They do hear from an eyewitness who says they saw a black sedan the night of January 14th. 
somewhere near the location of where Elizabeth's body was found. They were able to track that person down and they were also cleared. They look into who owns this land, this parcel. Check that person out, nothing. And it's with all this that investigators are at a dead end with the investigation on who murdered Elizabeth Short. As the following weeks unfold, following the discovery of Elizabeth Short's body, media and police start to get some interesting phone calls, letters, interactions with people. On January 21st, so this is about a week after Elizabeth was found, the examiner, which I believe is a newspaper, received a call from a person who said they were the murderer. This person claimed that they would be sending Elizabeth's belongings in the mail to prove that they were the murderer. And then on the 24th, they get a package and it has Elizabeth's birth certificate, photos, business cards, and an address book. This address book has the name Mark Hansen on it. There was a letter that was pasted together from newspaper and magazine letter clippings, which I have to say is just like a classic trope. (laughs) But it says... Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Here is Dahlia's belongings letter to follow. And as I mentioned up front, and many of you know the case, this is known as the Black Dahlia murder. And apparently she got that name because of a movie that was out recently called Blue Dahlia. And then Elizabeth had black hair and apparently wore black clothes. So she became known as the Black Dahlia. Anyway, that's where the Dahlia in this mention is coming from. And then following this, Elizabeth's shoe and purse were found about a little under two miles from where her body was discovered. And this was identified by her friend, Robert, that had dropped her off at the hotel. Now, something to know about all of this evidence, it was washed with gasoline so that there was no DNA or fingerprints that were left. Um, I did find that they found a partial fingerprint on one of the envelopes, but it was damaged and they were able to analyze it. Following this on the 26th, another letter arrives and, and it contains a handwritten note that says, quote, here it is, turning wed, like Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m., had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. End quote. And additionally, there was a location. And so investigators and police go to this location at the time and nothing comes of it. Again, they get another note with letters that are cut and pasted. And it says, quote, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. End quote. Who knows if this was actually the perpetrator or some hoaxes or a mix thereof. It is interesting that some of her personal belongings were within some of these. So it makes you think somehow they were either involved or had her belongings and weren't involved and didn't know how to get them to police without looking like a suspect. Yeah, it gives a lot more credibility to whoever's sending this Mm -hmm. because these are actually her items, which is also creepier. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, they clean them so that they couldn't be identified. Which, I mean, really, if you think about the manner of her death and how how violent it was and how she was displayed, I'm not completely surprised that they started sending messages to the press. They clearly were attention-seeking. 
there have been other hoaxes or false confessions from people throughout the years. This happened in 1947, and a lot of people claim that they murdered Elizabeth, but none of that has ever been, you know, proven. And just to let you know a little bit about how much this case was investigated, um, I found a, a few statistics for you guys. So apparently a total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on this case during the initial stages of it. This includes 400 sheriff's deputies, 250 California State Patrol officers, and they searched all over LA looking in rivers, storm drains, and they posted rewards for people coming forward with the killer and for any information coming forward that led to an arrest, and they still had nothing. Throughout the years, there have been some theories and some additional suspects that were and additional suspects that were looked into, and we are going to explore all of that in part two of this two-part episode series. And so join us back next week to hear a little bit more about how this case has evolved as time has gone on. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.